0: Today we are continuing with our Eight Essential Elements of the Biblical Christian Gospel Series. I guess this is all the light I get. And if you look at Roman Numeral 1, you'll see the Eight Essential Elements. We are now on Element 6, Receiving Jesus Christ, which could also be called Responding to the Gospel. Uh, of course, those are active words, action verbs, where you have to receive Jesus Christ. You've got to do something about it. And and we're looking at biblical vocabulary that has to do with soteriology or the doctrines of salvation. And um, so I don't have time to review much. I will say if you jump down to Roman numeral 4, we'll get right into element 6. John 11, I'm sorry, John 1, 11 through 13 is our theme verses. Stand under the light here. And uh, that is that he... That is the one who's called the Word, the Light, the True Light, and, and the Life of Men, Jesus Christ, came to his own people. His own people did not receive him, but all who do receive him, uh, who believe in his name, he gives them the exousia, which means the authority and the power. Just like a cop has both uh, symbols of his authority, like his uniform and his badge, and then he has power, like his gun and all the other cops. And uh, he gave you both the authority. That is the legal right because the spiritual things are always legal in their foundation but then they must be experiential by the power of the Holy Spirit or it's a deception. So you have to have the power of salvation to truly have salvation and uh, to those people he gave them the power and the authority to become children of God and a child grows up to be like their father. So Uh, We talked about jargon and why we're doing uh, spiritual vocabulary because most people today, when they read good translations, probably the best three uh, translations of the Bible in English are the New American Standard Bible, the English Standard Version, and the New King James. They all three have various things to commend themselves. Perhaps the New American Standard would have the slight nod of being the most accurate of the three. But it also has the most choppy grammar of the three, English Standard Version. A lot of people like because it has that mix of very good, very good translation. It doesn't miss a lot of things like the NIV and so forth does. And, but it's also easy to read. So uh, in any case, when you're looking at uh, good translations, most people still come across oh more than 100 words just in the New Testament alone that they would get way more out of what they're reading if they did a little study of what the word means. And that's all we're going to try to do in this series. I'm going to record some things and put it on. uh, Now that we have Josiah and Stephen that know how to do this during the week, I'm going to record a whole biblical vocabulary series for you so you can uh, study words that don't necessarily apply directly to redemption or receiving Christ. So in any case, so far, if you look at Roman numeral six, there, so far we've looked at the words salvation, save, save, draw, which is the most most misused words probably, draw, rescue, deliver, receive, right, and authority, regeneration, which includes new birth, born again, made alive, quickened, and uh, conversion, convict, confess, repent, renounce, believe, believe trust, follow, obedience. We're kind of doing, starting to go on conversion words. Last week we talked about conviction. Today we're going to look at confession and contrition, to be contrite. And uh, hopefully we'll get that far today. And I have in bold print there under Roman numeral 6, experience versus knowledge. One of the probably greatest tragedies of our modern Christianity Is that almost all Catholic and Protestant Christians within the Catholics there are people in both these camps, and within Protestants there are people in both these camps, but almost all exalt scriptural knowledge in an abstract intellectual way, devoid of the power and experience of the Person of God and the the Holy Spirit. You know, in in, when and or they do the other. They have the the. Uh, Presence of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and a good understanding of this of a second encounter with the Holy Spirit called being baptized in the spirit and sometimes That that's just a stepping stone towards being baptized in spirit many times over Some people get that part of it And almost everyone in that camp doesn't do much of biblical studies and theology and so um, The problem is we you have to go further with both you must If you don't, it's a deception. (gasps) Knowledge without the power of the Holy Spirit is one of the greatest deceptions that will ever. If you are a born-again Christian and you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit and you're not regularly having supernatural, amazing, make you cry, make you shout, make you dance, experiences with the Holy Spirit, uh, you've you've got a foundational problem. You're like driving a ship that has a big hole in the bottom and uh and if you are a first rate theologian understanding the church fathers and the reformers and everything else, and you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life you're you're just off course and vice versa if you have great experiences and speak in tongues and cast out demons and uh know how to minister inner healing and and uh and have, have have people have supernatural, powerful encounters. One of the reasons Stephen Leopold has made so much progress in only three years is he had some amazingly powerful encounters with the Holy Spirit right here on this floor. About stand, <laughs> he was laying about right here when the Holy Spirit was dealing with him for a few hours. And, uh, you know, without that, you got nothing. And And the vice versa, if you... Study all the time, and you've taken our theology class, and you've read all the intermediate books, and you've read through the whole New Testament 10 or 20 times, and the Old Testament 4 or 5 times, but you don't have the power of God in your life, you got nothing. That's what Jesus said to the Pharisees when he said, this is the reason you're mistaken, because you know neither of the Scriptures. Now, he's talking to people who had memorized the entire Jewish Scriptures that we call the Old Testament. And he said, you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Because if you don't know them together, you don't know them at all. And that's uh, we are living in tragic times where many, many, many people have been going to church 5, 10, 15, 20 years and haven't actually walked through the door of the kingdom yet because they haven't encountered the power of the Holy Spirit. Or they've walked into the door of the kingdom through the power of the Holy Spirit and they've never actually begun to figure out where they are and where what the map looks like. And uh, our churches are filled with—I would estimate that as high as ninety-eight percent of Western Christians are living there. And I don't think that's an exaggeration in numbers. So I'm trying to help you with this with these words that we're studying, I can't emphasize enough, these have to become who you are, and that can only be woven into your spirit by receiving grace from the Father who has sent the Son, and the Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, and you can only know God. God the Father you don't know, and God the Spirit, Son you don't know unless you know them through the Holy Spirit Because he is their representative in the earth. They're in heaven, ruling, reigning, doing things, but they do everything by the agency of their Holy Spirit, of of the Holy Spirit working through their their word and into their church. So, uh, last week we looked at the word conviction, which can be translated convict, convicted, reprove, rebuke, convince, Expose, um, show fault. Uh, Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins and uh, so forth. And uh, because of that, you're actually unable to convict yourself. Any wise person, you can actually tell if you're arrogant or proud very easily. If you're arrogant or proud, then you don't seek the Lord by reading a lot of Scripture desperately every day so that it can read you. If you don't have a desperation to read the Scriptures every day, you are an arrogant person who hasn't really begun to be formed in Christ yet. If you don't put yourself in the context of Christian community where someone else can reprove, admonish, convict you, uh, because that's the beginning of being called back from death to life. That's the beginning of the journey into the character of Christ. If you don't put yourself in that accountable place, then you're arrogant. You're yet unbroken. You're yet, uh, not re- you're yet really kind of think you got this. And you don't see that you're blind, wretched, miserable, and naked, as Jesus said to the Laodiceans. And many people think uh, the Laodiceans, more than any of the other seven churches in Revelation, characterize Western Christianity in our age. Uh, not a bad theory. So, uh, and if you don't develop a sensitivity of the Holy Spirit, the reason I love Monday night prayer, and we now have this uh, Thursday night RCF prayer at six o'clock—that's really anointed of the Spirit, and a lot of a lot of really good folks there—and that always helps. And if you don't get yourself either alone or with other Christians worshiping and getting in the spirit and so forth regularly then you are underestimating how much you need to cultivate the Holy Spirit to reprove, correct, admonish, correct you. I need a course correction every day. I need a motivation correction every day. I need an attitude correction every day. My wife can tell you. We've been married 34 years uh, as of today. So (laughs) she knows. Sometimes she tries to bring the course correction (laughs) or the attitude correction. uh, And sometimes I'm listening. And other times I'm fellowshipping with my mattress and pillow. But uh, my mattress and pillow, we have such a great relationship. I I felt so close to them this morning when the alarm went off. But uh, (laughs) when it was time to get up, I was like, we were really getting along Oh, All right, let's get into today's two words. The first one, confess or confession. Now, we, we meant to cover this last week, and I tried to hurriedly throw a bunch of stuff in in five minutes, so I just decided last night to just start over. Um, confession is kind of the opposite. Uh-oh, where, where's my Red New American Standard Bible that goes in that corner of that pew? Let's make sure we try, find that quickly. All right, so uh, let's just look at Genesis 3 real quick. Now, those of you who are trying to think uh, modern times, of course, of course, Hillary Clinton comes to mind. And, but if you're my age, you remember Watergate and Richard Nixon. And uh, that was, uh, you know, I was about 16, 17 when all that was happening. And... Um, you know, I, it was the first time I really be, began to be aware of the concept of a cover-up, although I had been doing it with my parents for years, But uh, <laughs> uh, and was actually quite uh, an expert, I think, at that point. Uh, most kids start learning the great cover-up early, and this is why. Genesis 3, 7 says, Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So what that speaks of is they actually tried to cover their own nakedness, and nakedness in all ancient literature is a universal symbol of shame. So today we flaunt nakedness, but uh, you know nakedness was uh, was a symbol of shame, and you. So what it re- represents, the leaves grow out of the ground, which is representative in the Bible of of the earth and man's efforts and natural minded. Uh, solutions, and they were trying to atone for themselves. They were—they went to the Christian bookstore and went to the self-help section and uh, had a better life right then. So that's, you know, what they did. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Most people can't even hear that anymore. Their spirits are too busy with entertainment. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, and again, covered up among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said, where are you? Now, you have to understand, God is omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's immutable. He's eternal. He doesn't need to ask where they are. He asks you all the time, where are you? Because he wants, by his spirit and his word, to help you know where you are. He already knew the answer. He was trying to help them see that they no longer knew the answer. Sometimes when people ask you a question, you got to ask, what are, what are they really asking and why? So he says, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. All fallen men have little games going on in their mind and their heart and so forth, trying to minimize God. Part of why most people go to church to actually hide from God, because if we can do our minimum churching up and so forth, we don't really have to get real with Him. So, so I hid myself. Uh, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Every parent's been through this, right? <laughs> Did you eat the chocolate cook- chip cookies that I hid in the freezer for that was supposed to be for the party Thursday night? Um, <laughs> who done it? That's why you. That's why if you have four kids, it starts getting every kid you have. It gets a little bit harder to like solve the mystery, right? <laughs> like it's real easy when you got like two, especially when they're really little. As they start getting a little older, it gets a little harder to know which one did it, right? (laughs) Right, Jennifer? (laughs) Uh, So the man said, the woman whom you gave me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Men have been saying that ever since, right? All men say that. You know, one of the hardest, uh, most exhausting friends I ever helped come to Christ like, we spent nine months just trying to get him past the woman whom thou hast given me, that she made me do it, <laughs> and look at his own r- r- culpability. Men are good at that, right? Like, let me tell you about my wife. That's Like some men, that's what they get together for. Drink a beer, smoke a cigar, and, talk, and commiserate about the woman thou hast given me, and how she made me do it. Of course, Flip Wilson, then... Uh, took upon himself the woman's response, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Philip Wilson was a comedian who had a, his famous line was, the devil made me do it. And uh, "And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, curse are you, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, notice that he rebukes Adam for listening to his wife. And here's a a great, I, I might do a message on Father's Day next week. Great husband and father's message. If... Your wife is speaking from the Lord, and you don't hear. There's all kinds of examples in the Bible of the Lord deals with the husband. If your wife is speaking from the flesh, the world, or the devil, and you don't uh, challenge it and, and correct it, the Lord deals with the husband. <laughs> so you want to be a you want to be a you know people who miss who are. Uh, what they call egalitarians who don't want to have separation of roles and hierarchy in the kingdom and so forth, misunderstand the nature of kingdom authority, which is not only servant leadership, but it's higher accountability. You want to get really in trouble with God? Take on a new responsibility in the church. Let not many of you become teachers, knowing as such you'll incur a stricter judgment. The reason we have people teach the catechism class before they teach the RCF, before they become an apostle to the nations, is because you've got to, you've got to walk along certain kinds of oppression, or, or progressions. progressions. <laughs> and uh, so forth. All right. So confession is the opposite of the great, great cover-up. We, in the fall of man, we became blame shifters, rationalizers, and excuse makers. Every fallen person is an expert at that. We're all lawyers. And we can argue the case of why it's not our fault, why I never got around to obeying the Lord, why I continue in this sin, why I have sins of commission, things that I keep sinning against the Lord, and sins of omission, the things I ought to be doing that I'm not doing. And we, most of us spend... A great deal of our inner thought life, instead of seeking God and seeking to be delivered from that, we spend our inner thought life cultivating, blame-shifting, excuse-making and rationalizing. So confession will start to open the door to the antidote to all of life. The two words I'm going to talk about today is really like, if you add convict from last week, confession and contrition, those three C words, those are the three-legged stool that start to call you from death to life and every day call you from death to life. They call you from sinful character and worldly character and shallowness into the kingdom of his beloved son progressively. And you can actually tell where you're at by how much you seek uh, to be convicted. If you kind of don't seek out spiritual authority much, it's because you want to live in darkness. Whoever loves the light comes to the light. If you don't seek out the scriptures much, it's because you don't really want to be have your heart exposed by the light. And desiring to be reproved, admonished, convicted, to, to see you as God sees you, that's why James calls the word of God a mirror. That's why so many uh, pieces of furniture in the tabernacle on in the outer court to get you to the Holy of Holies were made of brass and were made in such a way that you could see yourself in them. because you can't see yourself apart from God. Now, once you see yourself, you got a choice to make. The devil made me do it. I've been really busy at work. Uh, the sun was in my eyes. The ball hit a stone and took a bad hop. I was playing injured. And, you know, my wife doesn't even understand me. And let me tell you, I try to explain this to my pastor like eight times, and he doesn't agree with me. See, I don't think he's listening. (laughs) My boss just doesn't get it. I mean, my husband just doesn't understand me. It's every boy. These people I work with—they're out to get me. They, you know, we—we're all experts at it. It was the other driver. He didn't yield. So let's get into this confession thing. Do you understand? It's the opposite. Sometimes uh, I forget what they call that in theology. But you, it, when you study the attributes of God, there's two ways of going about it. You can study who He is and what He is, versus what He's not. What, what do they call that, John? I remember that like there's a whole thing like the the passivity of God you can uh, which is what uh, beth 's cousin did his uh, excellent speech that I attended on he on the, the doctrine of the passivity of God uh, but he started with uh, with a, a concept in theology that first we discuss what God is not do you, there's a term for that do you remember apathetic, apathetic. Yeah. apophatic, apophatic. Okay. apophatic. <laughs> I'm an expert at apathetic, I'm sorry, (laughs) apophatic, I always forget the theological terms, and I got the concepts in my heart, but I need better vocabulary, I should probably go back and listen to the first part of this message about jargon, okay, so, get my jargon down better. James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. One of the great doctrines of Protestantism in our day, not as Luther really thought of it, or Knox, or Calvin. Uh, anachronistic there, Calvin before Knox. None of them thought of the modern idea, you only need to confess your sins to God. Not That's why when Jesus commissioned the disciples, he said, as the Father, in other words, in exactly the same way the Father sent me, so I send you. And the first thing he told them, if you can forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they're retained. He assumed that disciples would tell other disciples their sins. And that that would be a daily part of the Christian lifestyle. Now, Matthew, Mark 1, 5, and Matthew 3, 5, and 6 um, are both uh, Mark's and Matthew's account of John the Baptist. And it says, all Judea, which is like a region. Like if, uh, if you want to think of it this way, you could think of, in the Bible, rough, Judea was roughly equivalent to the main area of Cincinnati. Middletown was like where Samaria was. I think it's still the same. No, I'm just kidding. If anyone's from Middletown, don't be offended. Uh, just a joke. Can't say anything in, like these days. Uh, and then like Dayton would have been Galilee, let's just say. Okay? And uh, it's really Israel wasn't much bigger than maybe Cincinnati to Lima. Okay, and there were three main regions: the northern region of Galilee, the middle region of Samaria, and the southern region of Judea. So, John the Baptist, when we pick him up in John chapter one, Mark chapter one. Matthew 3 and Luke 3, he's in the River Jordan, in the region of Judea, and the whole region is coming out to hear him. Thousands. And they're not coming to have religion. They're confessing specific sins. And that is always the door that prepares you to actually encounter Christ. You look all through the apostles' message, John the Baptist's message, Jesus' message, then the apostles' message. They brought a word of reproof. Go back and listen to element zero of John's masterful, very first, if you click, scroll all the way to the beginning of our Sunday regular celebration, is that what it's called, or Sunday worship, or whatever the 1030 section is called. The very first message on there was the, the beginning of John's series, Christ in the Old Testament, where he uh, gave a masterful message um, Depiction of 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 Peter's Acts two uh, speech, but he basically is reproving them. He's admonishing them. He's not having a nasty, nice, modern sermon. He's telling them, "Your whole life you've been expecting Messiah, or Christos, and your whole life you've been expecting Emmanuel, Yahweh with us, and He was right in your midst, and you killed Him." And God is very upset. Anybody want to buy that message? <laughs> he's, <laughs> you're in trouble. <laughs> and that's why it says when they heard this, they were cut to the heart because they realized, oh Lord, he's true. It's right. They were convicted, and they confessed instead of blame shifted. Well, it was the really the Pharisee party, and it was the no, it was the Herodians. It was this, the, you know, they're all on the Sanhedrin, and we're just the common people. We didn't stand out in the audience and yell, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. They started hiding behind loincloths and, uh, you know, in the bushes. They heard the sound of, God, of the Lord walking in the garden saying, where are you? You killed me. You're killing me, Smalls. <laughs> and, uh, and, they, and they said, what, what do we got to do? The the only real way to get saved is to have God give you the contract, you sign it in in blood, and then he'll explain it to you as you go. (laughs) It's called reading the Bible. (laughs) Like most of us don't want to jump into the next step in God because deep in our spirit we sense, wait, I haven't read the contract yet. And you don't, I trust me, but I don't trust him. That's what's holding you back. Well, I'm supposed to forgive everyone and really understand the biblical definition of forgiveness versus versus uh, unforgiveness or bitterness or resentment. And you know, I'm used to what unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment. I know that I've been wearing those clothes for a long time. They fit. They even got like, you know, those old slippers that, you know, they feel so comfy, even though they got a few holes in them. But I don't really know what that new pair of shoes is going to feel like. It might hurt my feet. I'm not going to jump into the realm of the spirit or or get, uh, you know, find a church that really has some community and commitment in it. or, Or actually cross over into taking biblical studies seriously. Because I don't want to I don't wanna get real. Proverbs 29, 5 says, the fear of man brings a snare. And a snare, uh, I took time to look up the Hebrew and found it in what's called the Septuagint, so I could look up the Greek. And but you know, you uh, a lot of you know that like if you don't forgive your brother, you'll be turned over to the tormentors and you know, verses that talk, basically talk about how unforgiveness is stepping into the trap of Satan. And fearing man is the ultimate trap. Like, I, one time my boss called me into the office, and he said to me very seriously, I mean, he was upset about a few things. And he said, Greg, you know, the problem is, is you don't really care what other people think. And I said, I wish that were true. Thank you very much. I'm trying to get there. <laughs> he's, he's like, not the answer I was hoping for. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it is the, it, the trap of all fallen humanity is to care more about what other people think of your nakedness than what God thinks of it. And that's why God made confession so important. Because when you tell another human being, read chapter 5, the, probably the only really great chapter of a little book we use called Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I mean, that chapter we are in the process, but Deanna went to South America for some reason. But we're, that will be released as a foundational article soon. And because it's called Confession and Community. And he brings out the point that when you confess to someone you're it's like you're ripping off uh, you know I remember uh someone uh who uh got a bad burn and their clothes were burned into their skin and they had you know ooh what a process they had you know they had to cool put her in cold water and so forth so they could take the least amount of skin off with the clothes like when to when you confess your sins you're you're ripping off the thing that's held you down like. Glue all your life, like flypaper, like this sticky stuff you can't get. It's called the fear of man. One of the reasons why it's so necessary to go out and share the gospel with perfect strangers is because, and the reason you have to change your relationships where Christ and community are first, and that you're in your you, you know, I believe you should keep some worldly relationships if they don't cause you to sin and stumble and so forth. Better to do it with get, getting them on our turf more than you going on their turf, especially alone on their turf. But you've got to have some bridges to outside relationships, but it's got to change that you're not in it for anything they bring to the table at all anymore. You're in it out of the fact that you break down crying in your study when you think about how lost they are. And how, travest- how much their life is a travesty. You know, the, you're sitting on your front porch and people from East Dayton are walking by and you have to go into the living room to compose yourself because you can't stop crying over what their life is. And That's why you want some relationships with people who haven't progressed very far in Christ. But you, Galatians 1.10, Paul says, If I was still trying to please man, then I could not be a bondservant of Christ. You cannot wear yokes that are pulling opposite directions. So there's just like there's physical laws that are immutable, you can't jump off my house and then start just fly down to church. You'll hit the ground first. Many a drug addict has had to find that out the hard way, unfortunately. I don't care what your perception is. You can't break physical laws, and you can't break God's laws. They break you. And so if you don't get delivered from the fear of man, you're bound up, gagged. You have no freedom whatsoever. guess I'm only going to get to confession this week, not contrition. So in Acts 19.19, if you've never had an Acts 19.19 party, we actually got some garbage cans within garbage cans and lit a fire out here once, and and all the kids brought their demonic T-shirts and their demonic movies and their demonic music, and and, uh, some of you would probably be good to throw your computer in there. You know, don't have a computer if you can't, uh, if it's got you more than you got it. Because that's the start of the Christian life. And some people have been in the starting gates for 20 years. Many of those who believe kept coming and confessing, ex to say the same thing yet, and disclosing their practices. And many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together. Let me tell you, there's very few things in our culture that you don't have to think through, whether there's sorcery involved, witchcraft, uh, etc., they began burning them in the sight of everyone, and they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. There's a young man that I ministered to for a while that's serving a life sentence right now, and he never would really get honest about what was really going on. I've done some things so bad. I, well, it turned out he got arrested for rapes because they matched his DNA when he was bur- robbing a house, burglarizing a house or whatever that word would be. And... uh You know, one day he came over and he just told me, I want want you to know I'm on my way to the used bookstore. I said, great, what is, why? He goes, I've got a trunk full of my pornography magazines and I'm going to sell them. And I'm like, you can't sell them. (laughs) Really, you're going to like push on your demonic immorality to someone else? You know, if this, you know, like if you can't overcome pornography, here's something that will really help you, by the way. Remember, most of what you're seeing is being done by human slaves that are being forcefully beaten and used in drug addictions and other ways of keeping them in there. And you're contributing greatly every time you go there to worldwide human trafficking. Which are why there's more orphans living on the streets of Brazil than any other nation, and why European and American companies go to Brazil to have their uh, big corporate company meetings because they want to have sex with kids who are being held in slavery, and they're willing to pay for it. Think of that next time you want to look at porn. Matthew 11, let's flip over. At that time, Jesus said, I ex homo you, I confess you, I proclaim you, I attest to you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. The Greek ex homo and legeo are out of, together, and to say. It means to confess, profess, acknowledge openly and joyfully, celebrate, promise, agree. When we recite the creed, we're confessing it. We're attesting to it. We're proclaiming it. Jumping down, man. Jesus said, therefore, everyone who confesses me before, are you one of those Christians? Everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. It's the law of reciprocity. Now, you need to understand that in in a biblical way of thinking, confessing is with every outward deed of your life, not just your mouth. Many a person who confesses Christ denies him by other aspects of their lifestyle. And that is not, that is like some sort of weird psychological schizophrenia or something. It's not being a follower of Christ. If you're not confessing him with your lifestyle, then you're not really confessing him. If they can't say, well, this person's obviously a Christian. I can tell by the wh- what time he gets to work, the attitude he's in in the morning, how he goes about his work ethic, and so forth, there's something different about that guy. And it bothers me because, you know, like he's rejoicing all the time when I'm trying to grumble and complain. And then when everyone's bad-mouthing the company, he doesn't or she doesn't enter in. And they never pilfer. They don't make themselves free pizzas and take them home. They don't take little parts from the shop home. What is wrong with that dude? That's what it means to declare him before men. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now, it's amazing because when you read all these lists of immorality, and I, and you know, I work with young guys today a lot, uh, usually over eleven or twelve and under thirty-two or three, who, you know, just keep like being bound by the same things over and over and over and all the time, and you wonder like, what's up with this? Because no one who's born of God sins. That doesn't mean you don't sin. That means you're not, you are doing drastic things to overcome the sin. You've burned your computer. You've built accountability partners in. You, you know, don't close your bedroom door if you have to. (laughs) You know, whatever. I remember when I first came to Christ at the age of 17 how tough it was, but I had to tell my father I need help overcoming my sexual immorality lifestyle. And I need you're the only one who lives close enough to me to help me keep accountable. Try that one on. But what does it the word say? The word is near you in your mouth. If you confess with your heart, that you know that doesn't mean like, oh, I love that Jesus rap. <laughs> and I and I post I post more Jesus sayings than cat videos on my Facebook. It means that everything I do from the way I work, you know, when they pick on me at work, I bless them. I say, well, thank you very much. I am a slob. I, okay, so <laughs> I'm working on that. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, you know that, that'll blow their mind. I remember the first year I worked in a factory. Pretty rough people, rough, you know, we had this lady named Sarge who was... Uh, uh, let's just say she was batting both ways or something, but uh, she had a cigar, and she, like, beat up guys, and she was always nasty to me, yeah. and I always just, I used to tell her how much Jesus loved her, and, how, what a, and I was the quality control inspector, so I went out of my way when she was calling me an asshole and a jerk, and a, you, what the hell's wrong with you, and all this kind of stuff, and I would inspect her parts and go, Boy, Sarge, I really appreciate the excellence you bring to your work. You're a good worker, and she's like, I hate you too. (laughs) You know, okay. Thank you, Jesus, for putting me in this situation. I remember making a decision. I'm gonna just thank God for Sarge and and all these people who are jerks to me in this factory every day for the rest of my life. If God tells me I need to be here for the sake of my uh, strength of character and sanctification. That was the most awesome experience I ever had. I grew so much from having everyone hate me every day. <laughs> I would prepare me for being a pastor, right? <laughs> yeah. So Titus, they profess, they homologeo confess, acknowledge to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless. Now, study the concept of worthless fellows through the Old Testament, but worth, what's usually translated in your English Bible worthless from the Old Testament means sons of Belial. That means people who practice the sexually immoral lifestyle. You look at anyone who has got maturity issues, they'll also have sexual immorality issues. They always go hand in hand. They can't, can't be separated they professed to know they're disobedient worthless for any good deed hammaleke oh together same to say the same to say the same thing that god says it to uh instead of confessing professing acknowledging openly declaring celebrating promising speaking out say the same thing god says no excuse making no blame shifting no rationalizing no explanations i did it i did it i did it and uh that's it now, next week we'll talk about something that really a lot of people, especially drug addicts and alcoholics, need to understand, and that is you can't just confess it, it's also the attitude you confess it with. Because I, you know, I was uh been ministering to a heroin addict recently who actually died, uh, and they pronounced him dead, and the EMTs were there, and I was there, and and three or four minutes after they had given up and said, he's has gone, he's dead, and so forth, one EMT. It's part of the reason I'm ministering to him because I'm hoping that this was a sovereign thing from God. One EMT said, why don't we try, what is it, Narcon or whatever, why don't we try it again? Now, they had pronounced him dead over three minutes ago. Should have been brain damage, but probably you have to have some certain amount of brain damage to be in the heroin to begin with. But, um, you know, and they tried it again and he, he came back. Fortunately, Nathan was on the scene as well, so Nathan went for a walk with him. But I texted Nathan the other day that told him I'm ministering to this guy because you're at work, and he's like, thank God I'm at work. But uh, because, you know, like a lot of people get into this, they confess the honest, but they're actually braggadocious about their sins. I was a worse drinker than you were. I beat up more people than you did. I was more of a jerk than you were a jerk. Oh, good. You know, like... Uh, Paul said that he was the chief among sinners, but they seem to be a little proud of that. And so we're going to talk about contrition next week. Amen.